For those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin. Uh, I am not our regular pastor. In fact, I'm not a pastor. I just happen to be preaching today. Uh, pastor Chris is in San Diego with his family, and uh, we hope they are having uh, a great, relaxing time, and we hope that they're able to come back rejuvenated. Uh, but yeah, today I was hoping to start with a question, and that question is, what is the current sermon series called? Uh, which some of you noticed popped up on the screen earlier. It is called Soul Care. Uh, and so Chris has been going through this series about soul care, and, and we've been talking about two different approaches to ministry. In the first approach, we start with, you know, uh, it's called the cycle of grace. We start with acceptance, and, and this was sort of demonstrated by Christ when, you know, he first got baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and, and the voice from heaven said, you know, this is my beloved son, right? It was, it was total acceptance despite the fact that he hadn't even started his official ministry, right? That, that the ministry itself starts with acceptance. And, and from that, we're able to get our sustenance by just understanding that we are accepted as we are, who we are by God. That can sustain us while we are doing ministry. That is where we get our significance. And it leads itself toward accomplishments at that point, right? And we contrasted that with the cycle of works, which is what you see around you a lot these days, right? Where people aren't really noticed until they have their accomplishments, right? And once they've got that achievement, right? Once they've done that thing, that is where they feel they get their significance. And the problem with this is that in order to have that sustained, you have to keep having those achievements, right? Think about this in terms of professional athletes. Right? If their entire you know, significance is tied up in their achievements, you know, there's only so many years of your life where you can be a professional athlete. Right? So, so at that point, the acceptance doesn't continue to follow, and it leads to a cycle of burnout. Specifically in ministry, if you, you feel like if you're not accomplishing anything, you must not be doing God's will. Right? You must not be the person that, that God wants you to be. And that leads to this idea of soul exhaustion, right? And soul exhaustion can be reversed when we are accepted before we achieved, right? We, we talked about this in terms of sort of stagnation, and, and I'm hoping this is sounding familiar. Are there nods? Okay, so for a few of you, that yes, this is, this is sounding familiar, okay. Um, we talked about how soul care isn't an individual endeavor, but, but it's a reminder to trust God. So switching gears for a second, does anyone remember what the previous sermon series was called? Oh, hey, yes, the Bible for grown-ups. <laughs> I'm glad I have a plant in the audience to feed, to feed answers who has already watched the sermon before. Yes, so yes, the Bible for grown-ups. Um, uh, hopefully that series has inspired you to really dig into scripture and, and to really start reading more than you were reading before or, or reading in a different light, right? Reading with a different context behind it. We talked about how in the beginning we're introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people and how that was just a revolutionary concept at the time, right? Because the, 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 the society into which God comes in and reveals himself to the Israelites, this is a society that does not place value on anyone other than maybe the leader, <laughs> right? This is a time when the gods were arbitrary and capricious and saw humans as toys, right? They were occasionally interesting to play with, 
occasionally slightly annoying, but for the most part, totally immaterial to the reality of, of the gods, right? And, and, and when God reveals himself to the Israelites, all of a sudden, it's a very different experience. We talked about how in the Old Testament, or that, that the Old Testament chronicles the story of human rebellion and God preparing the world for our Savior. The Bible is an opportunity to know Jesus and experience God, and it can be understood and lived out through careful study and an open heart. Now, one of the things I really wanted to do today was just sort of recap that whole series because I thought it was an excellent series, and I thought it did a really good job of helping us understand the importance of context. But, but rather than doing that, I'll take the opportunity to plug the YouTube channel, which apparently we have people who are watching, so there, there, there is some familiarity with this. If you missed any of the Soul Care uh, 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 sermons or, or any of that, the Bible for Grown Ups series, I would really encourage you to go back and read, or sorry, go back and watch those videos because it's really good stuff and it's really helpful. And I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, and I think there's an awful lot of crossover between those two series. I think it's very, very linked, and I want to talk today about soul care through scripture. I want us to explore the idea that as we read scripture, we can constantly ask the question, how is my soul? Is your soul exhausted? Is your soul weary? Right? We can ask the question, what do I need? You know, what does my soul need? Maybe what your soul needs is acceptance, right? That, that, that opening step to ministry in the cycle of grace. Maybe you need to feel accepted. Maybe you're not feeling accepted. Is that what you need? As you read through scripture, ask that question, what do I need? It sort of makes scripture come to life for you. Maybe what you need is significance, right? Maybe you feel like you don't have any significance and you don't know where to get that from. As you're reading through scripture, continue to ask the questions. Maybe what you need is wisdom, right? Maybe you've got some major you know, decision you need to make and you just really need to find that wisdom. You can ask yourself, what do I need? And the passages come to life for you and they meet you where you are. Maybe you need inspiration. There's plenty of places you can find that. Maybe you need context, right? As you're reading through scripture, maybe something's not making sense. Ask yourself what you need. Maybe what you need is context. Maybe it's an opportunity to use those resources that Chris lay, you know, laid out in the Bible for grown-ups, like the Bible Project and, and other, uh, other opportunities there. Who knows what you need? I'm not going to be here you know, to, to tell you exactly what you need, but you know, maybe all you really need is lunch. I don't know. So Chris covered a lot about the New Testament and specifically how the, the, the Bible for grown-ups lays out the story around what happened, the, the, the events of Christ's life. So I wanted to take an opportunity to sort of focus a little bit more on the Old Testament today. And, and I want to explore the idea of asking these same questions while reading the Old Testament, which requires understanding things in context. So, so when we read through Scripture, a lot of times we, we sort of overlook certain words, and there, there's some things that we just sort of, yeah, yeah, I know that word, we're going to let it go by. And one of those words I think that we tend not to think about is the word testament. What does that word mean? Where do we run across that in modern life? Anybody? 
last will and testament. It's instructions for handling an inheritance. Ooh. So we have an inheritance as children in God's kingdom. We have instructions for handling that inheritance. That's kind of interesting. Maybe it's helpful to replace it with another word. How about this one? Covenant. Anybody run across this every day in their, in, in their life? I run across this all the time because I'm on our HOA board. It's the first C in CCNRs, <laughs> right? What's a covenant? A covenant is a legally binding contract. So in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is the legally binding contract between God and the Israelites. You want to talk about grace, right? Unmerited favor. At a time when the gods play with humans, what does Yahweh do? He actually enters into a covenant with the Israelites. Like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I will be there for you. I will help you. I will protect you. And that's just radically different from anything that was going on at the time, right? And in this context, the Old Testament is the old contract. The New Testament is the new contract. So let's talk about how we can read the Old Testament in the context of what's going on. And to do that, biblical scholars tend to break the Bible down into various categories, right? And part of the reason for this is if, if I'm, I'm reading a particular book and I know the category of, of text that this is, it makes it easier for me to quickly find the context that makes sense for reading that part of Scripture. So the four main categories that we, get, uh, uh, that, that we see the Old Testament broken down into are the law, which, uh, well, I'll go over these in a, in a minute, but we have the law, we have the historical books, we have the poetic books, and then we have the prophets, right, the, the prophetic books. So the law establishes the initial contract between God and Abraham's decision. This is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, we, we sometimes see this referred to as the Pentateuch. It's just a fancy Greek word. It means five scrolls, or, or, or you could think of it as five books, right? Scrolls were books before we had, you know, the ability to bind books, things like that. So when we're reading through Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we constantly see callbacks to the law, right? It is written in the law. It's written in the law of Moses, you know, or, or, or you know, the book of the law of Moses, the book of Moses. There are various ways that, that it's referenced. But knowing sort of what's happening at this time helps us understand what's going on, right? This is the founding of the nation of Israel. So the context is we are entering into a covenant with God. And it goes from Abraham in, in Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy where the Israelites have wandered around in the desert, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and God goes, okay, are you ready? I got a new covenant with you. And if you read through Deuteronomy, in context of what are other documents like Deuteronomy, at that time, it is a Lord-vassal contract. It's literally God saying, okay, I got this. I got you. We're in this together, right? And it's, it's, it's it's leveraging that same covenant and transitioning it into something that's way more elaborate and way more specific. So what if you're reading through the law, those books, 
and you're asking yourself, what does my soul need? How is my soul? One thing I found helpful is that it's awfully hard to see a thousand years, two thousand years, three thousand years into the future from that moment. And put yourself in the context of the people at that point in the story that have faith that thousands of years later there's going to be this covenant. It's going to be fulfilled in all sorts of different ways. It's a way to sort of think about, do I need to have that idea? Does my soul need to be aware that maybe I'm not going to see the fulfillment of this particular conversation I'm having with my coworker? I've had the same conversation with that coworker over and over and over again, and I know it's important, but they're never going to change. Maybe I should just stop. Sometimes it's hard to see what's going on way in the future from where you are. The next section that, that, they, uh, uh, that scholars tend to break the Bible down to is the historical books. And these come in, this comes in like two flavors, right? So I've got some of them in, in orange and, and some of them in blue. The orange ones are what we call the former prophets. The blue ones are what we call the writings. When we say historical books, what we're really talking about is documenting what happens after the establishment of the covenant with Israel, not just with Abraham's family, and sort of how that goes through into a period where Israel is you know, run by the judges and then run by the kings, and then sort of what's, what's happening throughout history here. And, and it's important to understand when we say the word history, that means something very different to a modern Western reader than it meant to an Eastern society that was writing the documents. Because at that time, history was not what we think of today, right? If you sit through a history class, you're going to be expected to memorize dates, people, events, right? This is an event, it happened around this time, and maybe this is why it was significant, right? But you're expected to, to, to understand that history sort of runs in a line, you know, it starts at one point and it's just a linear progression of facts, you know, that, that sort of go on. And that was not necessarily what was thought of at the time. When they're sitting down to write history, it is understood that what you are attempting to do is to convey an important message, an important moral through something that happened. And if you get the dates and the times wrong, that's not material to the understanding of that message. So as you're reading through the histories, right, as you're reading through these, these things, think about this in terms of what does my soul need? Are you reading something in here that really bothers you? Are you reading something in here that just doesn't make sense? Well, if you're getting hung up on, on some of these passages and you're starting to think, okay, this is really problematic. I have a real problem with this. It may be helpful to understand something about the early church. So when Chris was going through the Bible for grown-ups, one of the things that he pointed out was this idea that the early church didn't have a the Bible, right? They, they had documents about these events that happened. And they had some writings by, by some really smart people. And they had interviews with folks that were very close to the action. Some of them were there. And in the early church, you were not considered a heretic if you believed something different. If you believed something a little odd, you weren't considered a heretic. 
Do you know when you were considered a heretic? It's if you were willing to divide the community of faith over something you believed. That is what made you a heretic in the early church. So as you're reading through scripture, as you're reading through some of these histories, and you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I, I don't, I, how could a God that professes to be all about love and, and, and all about grace, how could this be happening? Understand what's going on at the time. Understand that context. If you're asking, what does your soul need? Well, maybe what your soul needs is to sort of let some of this go. Understand it in context. The next section we have is called uh, Poetry and Wisdom. Uh, this is everything from Job through uh, uh, Song of Solomon, Song of Psalms, uh, depending on, on sort of what you want to call that. This is one of those really interesting places in the Bible to read. And, and it's important to point out that it's not always very compatible with our modern understanding of poetry, right? If I am reading a modern poem and I am in a literature class here, here in California, that professor of that class is probably going to say, okay, what does that poem say to you? Not, what truth is that poem trying to convey? Depending on whether you're taking a class where you're trying to explore something from a literary standpoint to get in the head of the poet, or whether you're trying to read something for edification. Maybe it's, you know, you're listening to a pop song, right? What does this song say to me? What do I get out of this, right? Not necessarily what was going on in the minds of the writers in that Eastern cultural context. So, so understand that a lot of times there was a very intentional purpose that is hard to understand from a modern context. So again, if you're reading through the poet, oh, oh um, another thing that I was gonna call out here is the, the difference between intelligence and wisdom, right? It's, it's sort of, we, we tend to get these confused from time to time, uh, especially uh, when we have lots of intelligence and not a lot of wisdom. Uh, we, we, we tend to get these confused. Some of you may be familiar with the explanation of this using the book Frankenstein. Intelligence is knowing that in that story, Frankenstein isn't the monster. Wisdom is knowing that in that story, oh, Frankenstein is definitely the monster, <laughs> right? So it, it's that difference between I know some facts versus I can understand in context what those facts imply and why it's important to know those kinds of things. Um, another thing you find in the wisdom literature, there's a lot of practical advice that's in there, and there's also a lot of wrestling with and exploring a lot of the real difficulties of just being a human, right? If you read through Ecclesiastes, there are some really hard questions that people are, are, are wrestling with. Read through Job, right? It, it's one of these places where, you know, you, you start looking at what is the author attempting to convey? And at the time, it was a known fact that if a, if a child was born, let's say, blind, obviously one or both of their parents committed some terrible sin. I mean, maybe it was a grandparent, but somebody in that family line did something terrible, right? And, and this is referred to as the retribution principle. Uh, uh, and if you read through the book of Job, the whole point of the book of Job is an attempt to refute that idea, right? To say, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes bad stuff just happens to good people, right? And so as you're reading through the, the wisdom literature, as you're reading through this poetry, you know, you can ask yourself, how is my soul? What do I need? 
Do you need practical advice? This is a great place to look if you need practical advice. You know, read through, uh, 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 you know, the, the Psalms. Read through, uh, you know, some of the, these areas there. There's a lot of great stuff there. But maybe you're wrestling with something that's really hard about being human, right? Why did this happen to that family member? Why did my friend have to go through this? That was a good person. You're not alone. You're not the only one wrestling with this. Humans have been wrestling with this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Understand the context in which a lot of this is written. It can be really helpful. Uh, the next section that, that uh, is sort of the, the, the bulk of, of what happens next is, is the prophets. And there's just way too much in here to, to cover in a couple of bullet points. But you might see this referred to as, you know, uh, as you're reading through the New Testament, you're reading passages, and you'll see, you know, it is written in, you know, the law and the prophets talk about blah, 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 blah. When they say the prophets, this is what they're talking about. Um, we tend to divide them into the major prophets and the minor prophets, which only is how long they are. That's pretty much what, what we do with that. But I want to point out that a prophet is somebody who speaks for God. We tend to conflate prophecy and prediction and while prophets sometimes predict what's going to happen, there's a, there's a real difference there. I, I like to think of a prophet as God's press secretary, right? If you've ever watched a president's press secretary stand up to give a press conference, there is nobody in that room who cares at all what the press secretary thinks. They care what the president thinks, and they're hoping that the press secretary can accurately communicate that information to them, right? And that's sort of the job of a prophet. The job of the prophet is just to speak for God. And you can sort of think about the, 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 the prophets as God's commentary on the leadership at the time. And what is that leadership doing to the people, for the people, through the people, against the people, <laughs> right? right? Well, sort, of, sort of what's going on in, in, in that context? Are the people following the leader down a really terrible, terrible you know, pathway? What's going on in here? So as you read through the prophets, you can ask those questions. How is my soul? What do I need? Are you in a position of leadership? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, that, that can make reading through some of what's going on in the prophets very exciting. Are you wrestling with how bad things are today? Are you wrestling with just all the terrible, terrible tragedies and things that are going on, are you wrestling with how bad some subset of leadership is? This has happened for thousands of years, right? Understand the context that you're reading, but as you're reading through the scripture, ask those questions, what do I need? Yeah, 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 okay, I can see this is a time when something really bad was happening and there's hope that it gets better. Maybe that's what your soul needs. Maybe your soul needs that hope, right? So, so, so again, my, my point today isn't to tell you what you need, or even necessarily to tell you where to find what you need, but, but to encourage us to read through the scripture and ask those questions, right? How is my soul? What do I need? And if, if you aren't reading the Bible much these days, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely not too late to start. Uh, you know, there's that old proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, right? And the second best time to plant a tree is today, right now, right? So, so, 
So don't feel like, oh, no, i got to start reading the Bible before I can do this stuff. Don't feel like, oh, i got to be a better person before I can. Just start. It's, it's a great opportunity to ask the questions while we're reading through the Scripture. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for an opportunity to read your scripture. A lot of people haven't had that opportunity throughout history, and a lot of people don't have that opportunity even today. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us not to get just so caught up in what's going on in the world, what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our families, that we neglect taking the time for that soul care, taking that time to read through the scriptures, to listen to your self-revelation of who you are. Help us to take the time to think about the context. Help us not to just pick some passage that proves our point and then try and club somebody with it. That's not what scripture's for. Help us to understand more about you and more about our place in your kingdom. And we ask that as we ask the questions, what does my soul need? How is my soul? We ask that you would continue to provide us with that nourishment, continue to provide us with those answers. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.